I know I shared with you last week that my cousin's husband, Jeff, passed away. And actually, Sunday morning, just before I got up to speak, I got a text from her asking me to do the memorial service on the 9th. Um, and it was very sweet, if I can just share a little bit into our hearts and ask for your prayer just for myself in this time. She said, good morning, sweet cousin. In all the confusion, I forgot to tell you that Jeff wanted you to lead his memorial. We would be so honored and feel so loved to have you do it. It'll be in the Redwood Grove on the property. We can figure it out all when you're, we're together. For me, can you add a prayer for this morning at your church? We always felt so comfortable and welcomed there. We're both so proud of you. And it was very touching for me, and it's important that you know that they felt very welcome whenever they came to Genesis. And that means a lot to me. That's my desire that anyone who comes to our community would feel like they belong. No matter where they're at in life, they need to know that this community will love them like Jesus. And I appreciate that from all of you. And I ask for your prayers just as I go up and speak at the memorial that I would be able to bring words of comfort and hope to them in that situation. So appreciate that from all of you. Okay, well, we're going to go through Romans now. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open them to Romans chapter 2. And what we're going to try and do today is cover from 2.17 all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. So that's where we're at. And of course, I need to kind of go over a little bit of what we've done, set out that little uh, timeline again. This timeline is crucial to the book of Roman and what's happening. Remember, Paul is a Hebrew. He's dealing with the Hebrew theology, the Hebrew theology about who God is. God is dynamic. God has created the heavens and earth. But he's taking the Hebrew thought and he's bringing it into the Roman Greco world and mindset. Now, they had a lot of ideas about God. We talked about that. And their ideas of God varied. But their idea of God was very static, either uh, Epicurean or Stoic, where God was out there somewhere, but he was just leaving us to ourselves, or maybe everything is God, you're God, I'm God, the couch is God, the tree is God. But all those ideas of God were very static. They weren't dynamic. And so here, this God who is the creator is concerned about the creation. And not only is he concerned, but he being the creator, we are now obligated to him. And so he's not just out there somewhere, doesn't care. He actually cares about the creation. And so now we are accountable to this God who is involved. And then this God who is dynamic made a covenant with a man, with Abraham. And so here we've got Abe, not Lincoln, Abraham. Okay, And God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would what? Be blessed. 
So through Abraham, the agreement that God made with Abraham, he said, everyone in the entire world is going to be blessed through this agreement that I have made with you. That your children would be as numerous as the sand of the sea, the stars of the heaven, that they would have this amazing influence and it would be a blessing. And so God continued to work in Abraham. They became a nation and they left Egypt and God gave them the Torah, the law. Everyone say Torah. Okay, Torah, Torah, not that Torah. The law, it's a different Torah, not like kamikaze. Okay, and with this law, God gave them instruction, again, to guide them and for them to be a light to all the nations. They were to be the light of the world, which should bring to our mind Jesus' words that you are the light of the world. And that really is a part of this story. And so the Torah was their instruction. The Torah was their guide, but they did not keep the law of God. They immediately fell into idolatry, immorality, and there was the golden calf right after God gave Moses the commandments. And because of their disobedience, because they didn't walk in God's ways and in God's laws, they were constantly finding themselves in exile. Exile was the result of them not keeping the command of God, not staying faithful to the Torah, breaking their end of the covenant that God had made with them. And because of that, they had exile. And in the Hebrew mind, when they were no longer in exile, when they would be free from exile, the eschatology would be that God would restore all things. And he was going to restore all things through them. They were to be the restoration that God was going to use to the rest of the world. In comes Jesus, the cross. And what Paul has been saying is, you've been waiting for restoration, but you're still in exile. Rome is still over you. The world has gone on. But God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham, but he has fulfilled it in the person of Jesus. Because the person of Jesus is now the fulfillment of what you were supposed to do, and instead of God doing it at the end of the ages, God has done it in the middle of ages, and that is the gospel. And what does the gospel mean? But yeah, it means good news. But what, what have we been talking about? It means Jesus is Lord, okay? Again, Paul talking from the Jewish mindset to the Greco-Roman world where Caesar was Lord, and he's saying the good news is you answer to Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled the covenant. And all that is happening right now in the book of Romans is being built on the fact that God has been faithful to the covenant faithful to his promise. And all the things that we've been reading from the beginning to chapter 2, verse 16, 
the the Jew would say at this point, everything you say is right. Everything that you've been talking about, we agree with, except for maybe that Jesus is the judge, because we talked about that metaphor of the law court and how God was going to use Jesus as the impartial judge. But some of the things that we talked about, they agreed that God had created the world, so they would agree, yeah, God has created, we agree, God has created everything, created Whenever I write, I like freak out, and I I'm not a good speller anyway. But then I have to do it in front of people, and it's like panic. Okay, um, they would agree that all humans have sinned. They would agree that this is you know truth. This is where we find ourselves at this point. That judgment is coming. Again, their idea is that it's coming at the end of all things, that this judgment is on its way, and that God will judge impartially. They agree with all those things. But what they believed is that they were going to be the part of this, that the restoration was going to happen through them. The Jews wanted to say that we are God's elect people. We are chosen to be the light of the world. Israel is the solution to the problem of the world. That is why God has given us his Torah so that we can lead in this light. And Paul is now taking them through the thoughts that that is not how it's taking place. And what Paul is going to do is show them that through Though Israel is the people of God, he never denies that Israel is God's people. What he's going to say is that they're also a people of Adam. In other words, they're a fallen people. And so that they are God's chosen people is both their glory and their tragedy. Their glory because God had made an agreement with these people. Again, an unheard of thing in that time. But not only did God make an agreement with these people, but these people failed in the agreement. They followed in suit of their Adamic nature. And so now they find themselves in this place. And and so the question then comes then, if you are the light of the world, if you are God's mean of restoration, if you are the ones who God's going to bring this in, why are you still in exile? And that's where we pick up. And so we're going to read chapter 2, verse 17 to the end of the chapter together and talk about it a little bit more. I want you to notice a word that is there. Again, I'm using the New International Version. The word if. Just kind of think about how many times he's using the word if. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. That's all what we've been talking about here. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law as it is written? God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, 
you have become as though you had not been circumcised. And then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, even though you have the written code and circumcision are oh, even though you have the law written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A person who is not a Jew, who is only who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And so Paul starts bringing this understanding into them. If you are the light of the world, then why are you in darkness? And he picks up this critique from the prophets the quotes where he talks to them and says, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Well, that's a quote from Isaiah, and he quotes Ezekiel. And what he does is he quotes the prophets as they talk to the nation of Israel and saying, you're in an exile, you're in this place because you were not able to fulfill your part of the bargain. And so what Paul does is pick up this story in their mind in this place where they find themselves. And he uses the prophets to continue the story. Remember last week we talked about how we were created in God's image. And that image of God, what it meant is that we were to be in his character, in his likeness. But they gave up the image of the incorruptible God and instead took on the image of of that which was corruptible. And we talked about how God created us in his image, male and female, he created them. And then when Paul moved on and he talks about homosexuality, it wasn't to blast those who are gay, it was to show that you have left the image that God had created you in male and female. It also talked about the idolatry. Whenever we leave the image of God and take on another identity, that's idolatry. And so Paul is continuing in this process, showing them that they have broken the command, that they can no longer be the ones who instruct, because what they really need to do if they're in this place of exile is need to instruct themselves. You who teach others don't do this. Are you doing it? Why do you find yourself in exile and you are telling other people how to live? Do you commit adultery? Do you rob temples? Do you boast in the law, but yet you dishonor God and break the law? So he's telling them, you're not in the place to be able to bring the restoration. You can't do it. And when you talk about yourself being, well, we're God's people, we have God's law, we're going to tell the rest of the world what to do, what do you do with those people who didn't have the Torah, but yet are keeping the Torah even though they aren't circumcised. In other words, they're, they're not ethnically Jewish, but they are keeping the Torah, the law, somehow, what does that make them? Where do you put these people? And what he is saying then is he is saying that every Israelite 
needs to recognize this. He's not blasting every Israelite saying, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer. No, what he's doing is bringing a, a devastating critique against Israel's national boast. And that national boast is going to be a key theme throughout the book of Romans. And so he's not saying, every one of you who is Jewish, you're a terrible person. He's not doing that. Because Paul himself said in Philippians that according to law, I was blameless. How could he say that and then be blasting them? He's not saying that. What he is saying, and he's going to slam this home again later and later, is Israel has no place to boast as a nation. Israel's national boast was that God had called her to be the light of the world. Paul says, if that's true, why are you in darkness? Why are you in exile? He didn't have to argue the point. In their minds, they knew that they were still separated from the promise of God because Rome was over them. And the Hebrew mind, the only way that they could be restored was if they were no longer under the rule of a pagan nation, whether it was the Babylonians, the Egyptians, or here, the Romans. You see, God wants us to be the people. But how can we be the people if this pagan nation is over us? And so this... First part where he's talking about you yourself and and the if then, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law, if you are doing all these things, he's not bringing an individual blasting. Again, it's not a personal indictment on the individual Jew. Paul is actually telling them as a nation, you have no place to boast. You can't lead anybody when you're in a place of darkness. And why are you in here? And again, the Hebrew mind knows it's because we have broken God's law. And so they know this. And remember, the Jewish Christians at this time that he's writing to, there's a big division in their hearts towards the Gentile Christians and vice versa. The Gentiles want nothing to do with the Jews. They were kicked out of Rome just a a year before Paul had come there. And now they're coming back and they're saying, well, we were doing fine without you. Now you guys come here and you want us to start keeping all your religious rules and we can't eat bacon anymore. I'm sorry, you know, don't. Don't get between me and my bacon. You know, they're, they're trying to say, stop putting your rules. We're fine without you. And Paul's trying to bring this harmony in between these two people. And as we talked about, Paul is not trying to say, well, you, you guys can have your Jewish church and you guys can have your, your Gentile church. Paul is saying, no, you need to understand there is one humanity that God has put together. And he's put it together through the one person. And that's where he's bringing them together. But he's got to deal with the mindset that these Jewish Christians have as well as the mindset that the Gentile Christians have. And don't we always get into that place where we think we're right? Don't you? I mean, we just do. The way you do things is the right way. And it doesn't matter in what form or another you do things. The way you bake, if you bake, is the right way. The way you make the bed is the right way. Karina and my first argument was on the way you vacuum. It's a true story. Won't go into detail, but you will find the way you do things is the right way. I vacuum this way, I vacuum this way. And we got into a fight because of who vacuums the right way. So I refuse to vacuum ever again. No, I, it's not true. Even in our cultures... The way we cook 
pasta is the right way. The way we do these things is the right way. We do it in our religious circles. The way we do worship is the right way. You guys don't use a guitar. You don't use, you know, modern instruments. You you only, you know, use a banjo. You know, I mean, whatever it is, the way we do things is the right way. We just get used to those things. And when you've got cultures that are so diverse and you try and bring them together, you have tension. And these cultures were very diverse, not only in food, but in the religious traditions. And so you've got a lot of issues. And yet Paul is saying, you guys don't recognize how close you really are. You don't understand how You've been connected through Jesus. You don't realize what you have in common now because Jesus is Lord. He is over both of you. And that is the point that he's trying to make here. And so in verse 25 through 29, Paul develops this tiny seed of thought that he's trying to get them to understand that there is a people who are God's true covenant people. Circumcision circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. You see, if he's saying, okay, these these people are a part of God's people and they keep the law even though they're not circumcised. And the Jewish mind would say, Paul, that makes no sense. Part of the law was you have to be circumcised. And these were the kinds of things that were problematic to them. No, our law says this, so how can this be? How can you tell us now that that's not the case? And he goes, well, what do you do about this? And he's not going to answer it fully here. And you guys are all probably going to leave here a little frustrated because, wait, you didn't answer the question. Paul doesn't answer the question here. He's not trying to. He's trying to build the case. And you have to wait for that fulfilled gratification. It's like that. TV show series we're watching, The Killings. We're in the third season. Finally, the second season, the last episode, we found out who killed Rosie. The whole two seasons, we didn't know. Anyone else watch The Killings? Okay. Um, It's a great show. You should watch it on Netflix. And they lead you one step at a time, and you get to a place and you say, oh, and then, oh, that's not it, oh. And they keep building the case, building the case until you get to the conclusion. Paul is doing the same thing. He's building the case, building the case, but we're not going to get to the final climactic understanding until Romans chapter 9 through 11. And he's just now starting to throw some questions out here to cause us to think. And so when he talks about the circumcision, he's purposely bringing out something that was very important to them. This separates us. This is part of our law. This is what makes us better. And then he says, well, what do you do with the person who wasn't ethnically Jewish? Because that's the idea of circumcision physically. But still did the other things that the law required of them. You see, there is a people who are God's true covenant people. 
And one of the main commandments of the law was to be circumcised. So what do you mean then? And what he's indicating is that there is a deeper significance to the Torah. The Torah wasn't just about the Sabbath days. It wasn't just about the circumcision. There was something deeper involved with the Torah. And circumcision can be equated to the ethnic Judaism, but there is something deeper taking place where there is a circumcision of the heart. And he's bringing us to understanding that something was meant to happen in the law that didn't happen with you, that needs to happen with everybody. And it has to be something that takes place in the, in the heart. And, and so this idea of circumcision jumps into chapter 28, or verse 28 and verse 29, which are really probably the most, the first instance here in Romans where Paul brings in this new covenant theology, where he says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and literally that means in the secret, in that hidden place, in that secret place. It's someone who is there in the secret. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And he's playing a little play on words because the idea of Jew and praise, praise being Judah, you are a real Jew if you are getting the Judah, the praise, not from people, but from God. Which is the whole purpose of Jesus. I have come the, to write the law in your heart, not on stone, but in your heart. And that was something that the prophet talked about, Jeremiah. So it wasn't something that was foreign. It was something that God had in mind all along. And we touched on this last week where if we don't recognize that Jesus was God's plan all along, we come to a place where we say, okay, God you know, gave the Jews the law and he was going to use the Jews, but then they blew it. And so he says, okay, I'll come up with something else. I guess, I'll forget that, now I'll just use Jesus. That was never the intent. God didn't make a mistake. He didn't blow it. Well, I didn't know that you guys wouldn't keep the law. He purposely did these things because his purpose was here all along. His covenant maintained all the way through Jesus. God never broke his promise. God kept the covenant he made with Abraham. That is the point. That is necessary. And in the Hebrew mind, they would not let go if that wasn't the case. How can you tell us that God has forgotten us? And that's where they were at right there. The Gentiles, well, you guys blew it. You, you broke the law. You're not faithful to God. Jesus came. We have Jesus. You guys are incidental. And Paul's saying, no, they're not incidental. And we'll go on and talk about that in a little bit here. And so, in a nutshell, their story is the creation, the fall, Israel's call and vocation and failure. But God will be faithful and there is already a true Israel. God has all along 
had in mind that there was going to be a true Israel. And again, everything is here tightly packed. God, Paul is telling God's story and he's going to expound it in the next chapters, but everything that he wants to tell is actually presented right here. But it's like a rosebud, you know, a rose when it's just tightly closed and you don't really get to see it all until it starts to blossom and then you get to see the fullness of it. Paul has told us everything here and now he's going to start to unfold it so we get to see it a little bit more clearly. But if we don't have this picture in mind, we will start to dissect the book of Roman and it'll start to have these little asides. And chapters 9 through 11 becomes an aside, but really it's at the heart of what he's trying to say, the things that he wants to do. And so in chapter 3, he starts off and he says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? If it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not circumcised, if the person who's a Gentile keeps the law in their heart, what advantage is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. Now, is that what you were expecting him to say? Weren't you expecting him to say, well, no, there's no. There's no, but he says much in every way. Okay, Paul, you're freaking me out. What are you saying here? You just said that there was a circumcision of the heart, that it was inwardly, but now you're saying it's an important thing. He says, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. They've been entrusted with God's law. Now, think about it when you're entrusting someone with something. If I entrust John to give a letter for Michael, who is the letter for? It's for Michael. The Jews were entrusted with the words of God. Who were the words for? It's not for themselves, right? You're entrusted it, it's for somebody else. So God has set aside a people and entrusted them with God's word, but the word never got past them. God set them apart, but it wasn't for you. The letter's not yours. It's for them. It goes through you, the truths that are there apply to you, but he entrusted these things because you entrust someone to give what you've given them to someone else. And so he starts unfolding what needs to take place. We've been entrusted with this gospel, this news that Jesus is Lord. What good is it if we just have our little meetings and we have our little potlucks and we do 30 of them in a, in a row in a month if we don't invite someone to be a part of it, if we don't take it to someone else. What good is this information if it's not dynamic? If it's not moving outward? And so we can become just like the Jews. If God entrusts us with the gospel and we think it's just for us. And Paul will talk about that later. I'm going to keep trying not to say too much because there's just... It leads on to all these things, and otherwise you'll, I'm already getting repetitive, I think. And so Paul is telling them that you were entrusted with the very words of God. Verse 3, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? 
Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may prove right when you speak and prevail when you judge. So what if some are unfaithful? Does God's promise stop because you blew it? Or is God still going to keep his promise? Let God be true and all the people who fail, let them be liars. But God is going to continue to do what he's going to do. Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using human, human arguments. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim, that we may say, let us do evil, that good may result. Their condemnation is just. Now, let me give you a little glimpse. Everything that Paul questions here in verses 1 through 9 all these questions, what should we say? If God is God unjust, if they use these people, if these people fail, but God maintains, are, are they, is God just using them? Is circumcision mean nothing? All the questions that Paul asks from verses one through nine, you will find that they are the same questions that he finally addresses in chapters nine through 11. And so when you go through a commentary and they say, oh, this is just a little aside. Paul is just kind of throwing this out there. Or they'll say that the same with chapters 9 through 11. Well, this isn't fitting in his theme of justification. This is just Paul kind of talking off the side of his head. You know, he just had a other thought and he thought he would throw it in there. No, there is very intentional purpose. These questions are the same questions he addresses in chapters 9 through 11 but he doesn't answer them fully. He can't answer them yet because he hasn't built the case enough. You know, when you go into the court and the lawyer goes up there and he says, he starts asking you questions and you know it's an entrapment. He's asking because if you say these things finally, you know, at least in TV, the way it works, you know, he will say, then what about this? And they'll pull off something and there will be the evidence and everyone will go, oh, what about that? What did, You forgot, oh, that is so condemning now because you just walked into this. Paul's doing the same thing. He's building his case. He's building his case and then he's going to drop the bomb on chapters 9 and 11 and help them understand exactly what he's talking about. That there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, that we are all one humanity in Christ. That we have been brought together by the God of Abraham Jew and Gentile to understand that God has fulfilled his work in the person of Jesus and now in us. And so these questions that he asks all through here that you want an answer to, well, well, is it true if God is, you know, using humans just for his sake to make himself righteous? Is that okay? Well, you want me to answer that? Well, no, you got to wait until chapter nine. Because he's got more information to lay out. He's got more things to put down before we can fully grasp it. Our, our minds haven't gotten there yet. And he's going to build this case up. And, and so 
This is all a window of how this letter actually works. And he's moving us here. Israel was entrusted to bring the covenant of God through to bless the nations of the world. They failed to do it. And chapter 3, verses 1 to 9 point us forward to help us see the shape of the solution. Because if these people couldn't do it, who's going to do it? And so he goes even further in verse 9 to to verse 20 in this chapter to help us understand, okay, it's worse than you thought. (laughs) Yeah, they couldn't do it, but guess what? You can't do it either. And so in verse 9 he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. Wait, you just said it was good that we were circumcised, but we have now no advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that the Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Remember, what is the righteousness of God? It is God keeping his word. God doing what he said, not breaking a promise, not failing. Perfectness. And so he's saying the righteousness of God continues. No one is going to be found righteous in God's sight because of the law. Rather, through the law, became aware of how righteous God was and how far away from it we were. And so Paul is now pushing us to understand that all are in darkness before God, that the righteousness of God or that covenant faithfulness of God is revealed through one who will do what Israel should have done and what Israel should have been. The only one who can. Again, the righteousness of God is revealed in the person of Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus is Lord. That we answer to the one who has fulfilled all the requirements that God has asked of of humanity. And that's the one we answer to. And so Paul, again, is just starting to step into this place to see that you as the Jews have no place you can boast just because you're a Jew. And you Gentiles, you're in the same situation. You are unable to fulfill all that is required all are in this place of darkness. And, and as he goes and he quotes those scriptures, you know, it, it's so extreme. 
I mean, all these things, mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, swift to shed blood. It's like, wait a second, you know, all he's doing is painting the condition. He's painting the condition of where we're at, of who we're keeping company with. He's not making an individual indictment, but he's saying there is no national boast of you who are Jewish. There's no national boast for you who are pagan or Gentile. You can't boast in your ethnicity. You can't boast in your culture. You can't boast in your knowledge. You can't boast in who you are. There is nowhere for you to boast because you're in the same boat. And the boat you're in is sinking. And then you would think, well, gosh, what, what do we do now? If the boat's sinking and we're all in the same boat, I can't look to you to help me because you're in the same boat as me. I can't look to you to help me. Who do we look to? And again, he's pointing us towards Jesus. So in chapters 1 through 4, he's talking about God's faithfulness to his covenant, creating a true family, that true humanity for Abraham. But then he asks the question, and he asks it more than once, what about Israel? He can't answer that question fully yet because there's more that needs to take place. But he's presented that question and he says, well, isn't it good? Why does he say to the Jew first and also to the Gentile? Because he's showing us what God has done. Just as he did the Jews, he's also done with the Gentiles. So that covers up to chapter 3, verse 20. Any questions? Yes, Caroline. Well, let me ask the question, does God care more about the Jews than he does what's happening in the Sudan or the people in Sudan? Should we care more? Should we then care more about what's happening to the Jews or to the people in Sudan? Well, I'll let you think about that answer then. Uh, I'll let you think about that as the answer. In other words, if God's impartial, why are we partial? Alex, you had your hand up? You know, it's one thing to to recognize how God used a nation to bring about the truth to you, because that's what we're talking about here. God has a special purpose for the nation, and his covenant is through the person of Abraham. We have been brought into that promise. But remember, Paul got all on Peter's case when he separated himself from the Gentiles. Because in their mind, well, we can't eat with you because we're kosher and you're not. And Paul says, wait a second. You don't understand. Christ has brought us to be one people. And so God doesn't look at the Jews and say, well, you are the people I promised to. So you've got a little bit more status or clout than these other people. It's just not how he looks at people. He used this nation to bring about his truth, but they have no more privileges than anyone in God's eyes because God was the one who was faithful, not the Jewish people. God fulfilled his covenant not because of their goodness. They were in exile. He fulfilled it even when they were in exile through Jesus. Now, Jesus came through the lineage He's Jewish in lineage because that's how God worked through humanity. But it's not because they're better people. It has nothing to do. There's no boast in ethnicity. 
There is no reason or right to boast. You can boast that God used the promise to your forefathers, but it's not like, well, we are so good that God chose us. Isn't it strange how most of the wars that are taking place really have to do with ethnicity? Whether it's the in Africa, you know, the Hutus and the Tutsis, whether it's in Croatia, whether it was in Germany, whether it's in Palestine, Palestinians, Jews, whether it's a certain, you know, ethnicity even in, you know, Mexican against black or Aryan. Isn't it interesting that race becomes so important to us and causes so much problem when we want to be special? The history of humanity is littered with death because people want to be special and think themselves special. And we do. I was voting for Italy in the World Cup. I'm Italian. I don't play soccer, but I voted, you know, go Italy. Because, hey, those are my people for that day. <laughs> you know, what is it? Why did I mean I rooted for America too, you know. But it's interesting how we get so caught up in ethnicity. And it becomes a loyalty and it was at this place too. And so when Paul says there's no Jew, no Greek, he's trying to tell us something. He means there's no Jew, there's no Greek. There is a new humanity in Christ. And we need to see that. And so, I'm not for the nation of Israel. I'm for God. I'm for God's justice in God's world. And if the nation of Israel lines up with the justice of God, well, guess what? I'll be for them. But if the nation of Israel wasn't going to line up with the the justice of God, then I'm not going to be just for the nation of Israel because they're Jewish. Just like I'm not going to be for the United States just because I'm American. I still have to answer to the justice of God. You know, and so that answers the question in a long, long way. Any other questions or, or thoughts? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, it's... Judeo-Christian belief that we have, you know, that Christianity was Jewish in its origin um, as it started. So we see and identify with those things. I I think, yeah, that's why a lot of people, I mean, the church, um, especially in recent years, has really tied in, and we're going to talk about this a lot more, is God done with the Jewish people in the way that he was using them before? Because Paul has a lot to say about that. And it might be interesting to some of you who had a different way of thinking. So, any other questions? No? Okay. Well, let's pray, and then we'll close. Lord, as we go through this epistle, and as we're going through it in this way, as really more of a, studious way, Lord. I don't want to lose the power of the truths that are here, that 
apply to us. I, I don't want to miss out on what you are driving us to. And Father, even in this short amount of these verses that we read, you have really unfolded some powerful and alarming truths. Lord, you have revealed our condition as a humanity. You have exposed our folly and revealed to us that we are in desperate need of help. But you are also not leaving us without hope. And so, Lord, may we recognize that our boast always is in you, that it begins with your faithfulness and it ends with your faithfulness. And Lord, we are the ones who get to enjoy the benefits of your love, even as we seek you and as we desire those things that you would write your law in our hearts, that you would change us into a new humanity, that people would see you in our new identity, that we would be representative of you and help us with this area of prejudice. Help us with this area of bias that we all gravitate to. This wanting to belong to a certain group, a certain ethnicity, and any time we start to exclude others, Lord, we do not represent you. You were never exclusive. You were always inclusive. And so may we maintain that posture. May we be seen as a people who are inclusive. May people feel from us that they are welcome to partake with the things that we partake of. May they be welcome to understand that they are invited into this family any time they would want to be a part of it. And so help us to embrace those truths, Lord. Again, thank you for this time and all who are here. Lord, may you continue to enrich our lives with your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.